Nation. Providing you with the practical tools and expert knowledge to optimize your strength, health and mindset inside and out. With your host, Steve Katarzy. Just wow. Be prepared to have your mind blown in so many different ways in this incredible discussion with Christian Fibordo as we talk about neurotyping. And I've spoken about neurotypes a couple of times on this podcast, giving you a good baseline understanding and introduction. But this, guys, is an absolute masterclass. Now, think about neurotyping this way. Psychometric assessments and psychoanalysis is helping you understand who you are based on your past and how you're showing up today. Whereas neurotyping tells you why you are who you are based on the individual mix of chemicals you have pulsing through your body. They're called neurotransmitters. And everyone has a dominance to certain neurotransmitters more than others and sensitivity to others again. And understanding your neurotype can dictate or at least inform pretty much everything in your life from your personality, your career, your relationships, and as we dig deep in this session, training and nutrition. Honestly, guys, it is such a pleasure to have had this conversation and I was scribbling notes constantly. I've listened to this three times already and I'm still learning. And I hope you're going to get the same level of value from me. We go across the board understanding what the five neurotypes are, how to identify with them, how to relate to those people, and then how to specifically think about your training nutrition based on who you are and your specific neurotype. And to make this relatable and helping identify your neurotype, you're going to hear my neurotype as well as those closest to me. And there's some kind of on the fly diagnosis as we talk, as well as talking through Christian's personality, his neurotype and how he needs to manage his performance, lifestyle and training based on that. And he's just a funny guy. He's got so much wisdom. And I think you're going to really enjoy listening to him and his funny anecdotes. So without further ado, I bring you the one and only Christian Fibordo. Today, guys, I have a very special guest, someone I'm a huge fan of and someone whose name I'm probably going to get wrong out of the gate and I'm going to have him correct me. So we have Christian Fibordo. Is that right, Christian? It's actually a very nice pronunciation. Yeah, it, it actually is pronounced like the French pronunciation. So that's pretty solid. Most people will say like Thibodeau or something like that, but you, you pronounce it perfectly. Oh, fantastic. Bonus Practice points. for a week, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We for, for a week so you have time to practice the name. Exactly, exactly. Now, who is Christian for those who don't know him? So Christian is a strength and conditioning coach primarily with over 20 years of experience. Uh, he's trained athletes across so many disciplines and he is quite the leader on the online space as it relates to bodybuilding with video capsules, blogs, articles. He's written and authored three fantastic books in the strength training space. And he jumped on the bandwagon of online bodybuilding article writing in the late 90s with T Nation and the like. He's on the international speaking circuit. And on top of all of that, 
he is a Canadian bodybuilder and a football coach, uh, from what I can tell. Mm. And I just feel exhausted saying that, Christian. Is that is that about <laughs> right? Have I got it about right? Well, if you take everything I've done and just condense it in a short conversation, it's decent. Uh, but yeah, it's about right. And I'm glad that you actually started out mentioning the strength coaching portion because that's really what I'm I'm all about. My it's funny because my career was pretty much the opposite of everybody in the field because I started training high-level athletes right from the get-go. At, at 19, I was already training pro athletes. And then after 10 or 15 years of training athletes, that's when I branched out to the general population and, and going into bodybuilding, body composition, and stuff like that. Mostly because uh, my work for T-Nation, right? T-Nation is a very popular uh, training website. Uh, but they are more geared toward body transformation, fat loss, muscle gain, stuff like that. And, and so they branded me more of a, like, as a body composition expert, which I, it's not incorrect because I've trained many pro bodybuilders and just average Joe alikes. But uh, uh, me, deep down inside, I'm still a strength coach. I still train athletes, and that's what I love to do. But, but to me, I'm all about solving problems regardless of the training method or the type of client I'm working with. Okay. And in terms of where, where I find you, most of your stuff online, it's your website, uh, thefibarmy.com. And I've also heard that you've, um, you've got some of your curriculum and content on Stronger Experts as well. Is that right? Yeah, I just, start, I just started working with them because uh, Phil is actually a friend of mine, the guy who started uh, Stronger Expert. Uh, and uh, I find it, it's, it's a tremendous project because you have like so many big names on the run roof. Mm. You have uh, guys like Louis Simmons, like Mike Israel, Pat Davidson, uh, Justin Kavanaugh, like guys who are like the top of their games in their respective specialty in training. And you can see videos of all these guys. I just finished doing a round table yesterday on speed training. And the day before that, I did a round table on, on how to train clients as a personal trainer. So it, there's, it's still brand new, but there's a ton of material already. I think it's a, it's a pretty good investment for anybody who's interested in taking their knowledge game up a notch. Okay, Christian. And in terms of what you do now, if you were to mm. break up and proportion your time as you allocate it towards all the various activities and projects you have, um, where do you spend the majority of your time? What do you want people to know you as today and for the rest of 2019? Uh, I'm a father. That's the first thing. Congratulations. Uh, Thank you. I think it's the most important one. Uh, my, my wife does probably most of the heavy lifting in that regard. She's so amazing. But I, I still I pull my weight in that regard. I wouldn't have it any other way. Now, as far as my, my professional uh, endeavors are concerned, I, I'm focusing more on teaching nowadays. That, that's really what I'm all about. That's my true calling, my true nature. My, my, my father was a college professor. My mother was a professor. My, my brother is a professor. So that that's really runs in our blood. Uh, so that's why I love touring the world, teaching about my, uh, my training methods, especially my neurotyping system, which is the uh, utilizing someone's personality 
to evaluate what is their neurological dominance, which neurotransmitter are high, which neurotransmitter are too low, which one are you the most sensitive to? And from that information, how do you change a training program? How do you select the proper diet? How do you interact with people? Uh, so, so who can tolerate volume? Who needs frequency? Who needs variation? All that kind of stuff. So just tools that help personal trainers or coaches give a better service. Uh, to their clients. So that, that I would say that this, that the teaching portion is what I'm doing the most of. I still train clients. I have uh, several uh, international level athletes still. Two, for example, are on the national bobsleigh team, just freak athletes. But I also do some online coaching for uh, other coaches mostly uh, and some average Joes. But I find that most of those who hired me as a as an online coach are other coaches who really want to be mentored. So it, it just falls in that uh, education category, which is what I really love to do. Cool. And of course, you're online in a big way. Is yeah. that a big part of your, your day to day, you know, filming video capsules, writing content, uh, you know, participating on your blog and generally your website? I would say yes, but no, in that it's always done like uh, in large sessions. So for example, uh, I'm giving a seminar this weekend, but next week I have three days schedule where I will film uh, like 60, 80 capsules. Wow. Uh, so, so it's always done in anywhere between one to three days, depending on my schedule. And we have uh, enough capsules for about three to four months at a time. So we do that like three times a year. Uh, which can be really daunting because, uh, uh, like trade secret here, I, I never prepared a single capsule in my life. Really? Uh, wow. Yeah, I will just, uh, I will just like throw down 30, 40, 60 different topics and I just stand in front of the camera and then my, my assistant will just say something like, well, I'll talk about cluster training. And I'll talk about cluster training for, for seven minutes. I'll talk about intermittent fasting. I'll talk about intermittent fasting for uh, seven, eight minutes. Uh, so, so it can be really draining. It could be really draining because it's not just performing. It, it's actually creating the material as I'm going. But I, I, if I don't do that, I, I can't function. I, I cannot just prepare a capsule, prepare a text. It's not me. It doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound passionate. So I don't like that feeling. So uh, yes, it, it, it is a lot of time, but it, it is condensed. So it's, it, I feel really bad for two days. Then afterwards, <laughs> I can spend more time with my kid. I'm super intense person. I'm a super intense person. I don't, I'm not the kind of guy who could work like a nine to five job. Uh, I'm not someone who could work six hours a day. I, I'm a guy who can work 18 hours a day all out, but then I will need three or four days completely off. I, I'm like that with everything I'm doing. When I'm, when I'm presenting, now I honest to God lose about seven kilos because I'm, I'm so intense. I'm, it's, I'm basically, I'm a stand-up comedian for six hours talking about training. So, <laughs> dude, I, I'm drained. I mean, everybody wants to take me out for lunch. I just want to be in my hotel room and watch Netflix for about eight hours. I'm completely trashed, but, but that's how, that's how I do things. It's, uh, it's all or nothing for me. Well, we're, so, we're going to be talking about neurotyping. I think that flows quite neatly. Yeah. Uh, into obviously the decisions you make in business and how you organize your life is probably paying homage to you know what your body needs and how it responds best to work generally speaking well in fact the re the, the real reason I, I developed the the neurotyping system in the first place was to understand myself better 
Because I, I'm, I'm a weird animal. I mean, I, I'm extremely productive, but I'm also extraordinarily lazy, which is a weird combination. Uh, but I, and I couldn't understand why, because it, once I'm motivated, I'm more productive than any human being on the planet. I, I've written my second book in less than 10 days, and only because I took two days to do a review of literature. Uh, but I can spend two weeks at home doing nothing but watching Netflix. So I, I, I couldn't understand why, and I, I, I wanted to find a way to trigger that right mindset to be productive more often, because my business, like it or not, is based on me. So if I'm not productive for two months, the business goes nowhere. So I needed to find mm -hmm. a way to, to get into that proper mindset. And what I found through my research is that me, my, my dominant neurotransmitter, we, we all, okay, we, there are like six major neurotransmitters. Of course, there are a lot more than that, but six that have the greatest impact on your personality. Uh, and everybody has one main excitatory neurotransmitter, a neurotransmitter that amps up the nervous system, that, that puts you in that uh, like ready to go mode, like you're amped up, you're fired up, you're concentrated, you're focused, you're motivated, you're driven. Uh, you can either have dopamine, adrenaline, or uh, glutamate, depending on the person, you're going to have one dominance. Of course, you will have all three of them, but there's always one that will be stronger. Most of the time, it's because your receptors are very sensitive to the action of that neurotransmitter. And we also all have one main inhibitory or calming down neurotransmitter, either GABA or serotonin, depending on, uh, on your neurological dominance. Again, we, we all have all of the, these neurotransmitters, but you always have dominances. Now, in my case, my, my dominant neurotransmitter is adrenaline. So my, my uh, adrenergic receptors, the receptors that are targeted by adrenaline are extremely sensitive, meaning that at the slightest increase in adrenaline level, either through conversion from the adrenaline or just the production itself, or if there's a, like if I were to take a drug that target the adrenergic receptors, I would just become a machine. I, I, I morph into the incredible Hulk. When you see me like in um, like in a normal state, like not excited, calm. Actually, I cannot look at you in the eyes. I, I'm extremely shy. I'm 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 uh, I'm conceited. I, I'm I'm. I have low level of, of self-esteem, low self-confidence. I'm basically Bruce Banner. But when adrenaline kicks in, I morph into the Incredible Hulk. I'm, I'm extremely vocal. I'm extroverted. I'm confident. I'm funny. So, so it, people who have adrenaline for their main excitatory neurotransmitter tends to be like that. So me, when I'm at home and I'm not excited, so there's no adrenaline present, I will be super lazy. I procrastinate. I don't want to do any chores. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not motivated to do anything. I'm not competitive. I'm just living that live. But as soon as there is this little adrenaline production, then I become, let's go. So that was the first, uh, my first introduction to neurotyping, understanding my own shortcomings and how I can deal with them. Uh, and of course, like a lion. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, thank you. That, uh, absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Because they're, they're, they're hanging around doing nothing for most of the day. And then when, when, when the shit hits the fan, when they need to go yep. do something, it's game on. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, those were a lot of people. Those who are dopamine dominant also tend to be like that, uh, but for different reasons. But in, in both cases, people like people who are more dopamine dominant, they crave that activity, they crave that competition because they get addicted to their own dopamine. Like dopamine is the pleasure neurotransmitter, and, and it works by the, the biofeedback. It gives you pleasure, so you want to recreate that same event. Me, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm actually dopamine resistant. I, I, dopamine has very little effect on me, so I'm, I'm actually pretty much never happy. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty much always neutral. The best I can hope to be is content. And for many years, I actually thought that I was Hasperger because of that, mm. because I, I was always neutral, never happy. Uh, what about adi- what about addictions? Have you, you are you generally not susceptible to be having an addictive personality? People who are dopamine dominant are the most addictive personality of them all mm. because they can they can get addicted to anything that gives them pleasure. Uh, and of, of course, certain drugs will target the dopamine receptors more than others. Like, for example, nicotine is highly stimulatory to the dopamine receptors. So uh, my wife is dopamine dominant and she's been smoking since she was like 12 and she just can't stop because she's addicted. Uh, similarly, she was like really big into like rave parties back in the days. Uh, and nowadays she's more addicted to physical activity and, and high risk situation, extreme sports, bungee jumping, jumping out of an airplane, stuff like that. Me, because my, adri- my, my dopamine receptors are, are so resistant, uh, if I were to take cocaine, for example, it would actually do nothing on me. It, it would, uh, I tried it and it actually did nothing. Hmm. However, uh, when I, I, I when I went to rave parties for research, of course, because as a trainer, uh, I always had many uh, like guys going to rave parties, hiring me to get in shape for the rave party, which is kind of stupid because right there, there is no light. Everybody has sunglasses and everybody is taking all the drugs. So <laughs> nobody cares what you look like. But when you look at yourself in the mirror before you go to the party, dude, I look super jacked. And then you feel good about yourself and you have a better time. But, but let's just say that if I did some research, I would have found that for me, speed or amphetamines would have been the drug of choice because they target mostly the, adre- the, the uh, adrenergic receptors. Uh, that's why, for example, if I take ephedrine, I'm amazingly productive, but the next day I feel like crap. The reason is that the adrenergic receptors are like the NOS in your car. It's a booster. It's not supposed to be activated for hours. So when you take a drug or a supplement uh, or a natural product that, that just keeps your adrenergic receptors activated for a long time, they become desensitized to stimulation because they don't want to be activated all the time. So the next day, if you overactivated your adrenergic receptors, your, your receptors actually don't respond to your own natural adrenaline. So when that happens for me, and I could never understand why until I did the research on neurotyping, and the next day after I've taken uh, ephedrine or even speed when I went to rave party, I feel depressed, unmotivated, zero self-confidence, zero self-esteem, everything's black, everything is, is, is negative because I just could not produce adrenaline to feel good. And since I'm already resistant to dopamine, I didn't have any neurotransmitter to amp me up. 
The only one that was left is glutamate, and it's more of an emotional amplifier than something that gets you up. So that's why I, I stopped using all forms of stimulants, even the, the more natural ones, because if they target the adrenergic receptors, it will actually castrate me for a day or two afterwards. Wow. Wow. That's, that's powerful stuff. And I, I can understand that. that. It's really, you know, it's over amplifying the sympathetic nervous system. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah, you're just, you're ragging out the car, right? You're pushing too hard and, and it will redline. So that kind of makes sense. So when you, you spoke about what was really going to be my first question, I just wanted to see if there's any further elaboration. I was going to ask you, what was the, when did the penny drop? regarding the neurological differences it sounds like it was your own self-inspection that uh, uh, helped you reach these conclusions and observations but when did you start to think actually there's something here as it relates to training other people actually it's been a long process uh because okay my own okay i'll backtrack uh, when it comes to coaching i think that there are two types of people you have programmers and you have coaches. Programmers are those who are great at designing training program. They will create a paradise plan for 12, 16, 20 weeks, and it will be a work of art. Okay? It, it takes into account every little detail, muscle imbalances, strength ratios, muscle testing, whatever. And then you have coaches. Coaches, they're not great at designing programs. Their strength is coaching people on in, in the trenches so the, because they are great at reading people at connecting people at making adjustment on the fly so that the person will get better results and and i'm a coach i'm not a programmer designing a training program has never been my forte my, my i'm a problem solver my, my greatest asset is reading people, reading nonverbal cues. So I always knew whether the athlete was motivated by his training program, whether the volume was too high, whether he was a, in a bad mood today, whether he was in a, in a great position mentally to go all out or, and whatever. So I always got great results when training people in the trenches and not so good results when I just did the program and, and, and allowed them to do the training by themselves. So I, what I wanted to, uh, because instinctively, and through experience, I found that different types of people respond better to different types of training. Like when I was training hockey players who were more extroverted, competitive, confident, driven. If I overcoached them, if I gave them too many technical cues, for example, it would kill their motivation. They just want to do it. Uh, if I gave them too many compliments, it actually pissed them off. What they really responded well to what was being challenged in the gym, almost to the point of making fun of them. Then they want to prove you wrong and then they mm -hmm. train hard. They also much prefer training for performance, like big lifts, neurologically driven, not so much isolation, bodybuilding, pump work. On the other end of the spectrum, when I train uh, many figure skaters, for example, they were uh, all about precision of movement. They wanted to have all those technical cues. They were more anxious toward the bigger lifts, like deadlifts, like squat, like power cleans. Uh, and they were a lot more emotional. They needed to be reassured. They needed more positive feedback. 
and in fact, at first, I, I made a really big coaching mistake because my 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 own natural mindset is to is that of a more of a hockey player or American football player. So I I I like to be part of the gang. I, I challenge the guys. I make fun of them. And it always worked well. But when I transitioned to figure skating, training figure skaters, I, I at first applied the same way of coaching. And I, I remember I was at my friend's place. We were playing a drinking game uh, called Name the Song. So we played a bunch of songs from the 80s. And the first guy who, who could name the song won the bout and everybody else had to drink. So by, by the time it was like 7.30, I went to the living room and I started watching figure skating, which is kind of weird when you have a boys night out. Mm -hmm. But one of the athletes that was training was competing at the national championship. She, that was her first year as a senior skater. Uh, she was national junior champion the year before. She was favored to win a medal. Uh, she was supposed to be the future of Canadian figure skating, all that stuff. So I, I watched her performance and she had her worst performance Ever. Like she fell seven times on the ice on very basic skills for her. So the next week we're in the gym and I say something like, okay, we're going to work on, on core strength uh, because some people here fall a little bit too often on the ice. So with the hockey players, it would have been like awesome. Now with the figure skater, this girl, it took her three months just to be able to talk to me again and six months until we could have somewhat of a working relationship. So right off the bat, that, that told me that you cannot interact with everybody the same way. But, but besides that, I always knew instinctively that some people prefer naturally to lift heavy. Some people naturally like to do volume. Some people like isolation work. Some people, they like to do the same thing over and over again. And I couldn't understand why, because sometimes you have two people with very similar background liking completely opposite things. So that, that was my first introduction. And then... I read an article by Charles Polican. Uh, like Charles is really the guy who helped me start uh, in our business. He's a good friend. Well, he was a good friend of mine, and uh, he helped me more than anybody else in the field. And Charles wrote an article on T Nation called The Five Elements of Training. That was like 15 years ago. And it was the first article that talked about training for your psychological profile. And the only reason I think that it didn't have much success at the time was that Charles used um, the Chinese signs like water, fire, hurt, wood, metal. And for many people, that is a bit too esoteric and it doesn't sound scientific, so they, they didn't put too much faith in it. But, but the foundation was there because when you look at the five profiles I have, they fall in line with the five uh, Chinese, uh, Chinese elements. It's just a matter of explaining them with physiology instead uh, of Chinese medicine. But that was my first introduction. The problem is that most of his recommendations were not actually correct. Uh, I, I applied the principles and it, it worked like 60% of the time, which is not a great success rate. And that's why I started doing my own research on, on neurotransmitter, on brain chemistry and stuff like that. And it turns out that the real reason why for many people that I was training, Charles's principle didn't work, was that Charles, for better or worse, his greatest asset, but also his greatest weakness, is that he only worked with the elite. 
you work with elite athletes, you work with individuals who are more dopamine dominant because even if you're not a professional athlete, if you are like one of the best businessmen in the world, you are the same mentally as that athlete. So we always work with the same kind of population and what works for a pro athlete will not be the same that will work for a general population. Now, my advantage is that I work with both crowds. I, I work with pro athletes, I work with Olympians, but I also work with a lot of average Joes. So that, that allowed me to know the differences. And then from, from that point on, it took me about four years to fully develop the system. I had assistance from many good friends, uh, Mathieu Jandel, who's from France, uh, oddly enough, he's from the Chinese medicine angle, so but, but he contributed to my material. Uh, Charles actually also uh, like participated, uh, and uh, Björgi Fergeli from Norway also helped me in that regard. So it was a long process, and it's still evolving. So what I was teaching last year is not the same as I'm teaching this year. There's always some new material being added. So I think everyone's uh, waiting to hear, <laughs> waiting to hear what it is that this neurotype system teaches you so maybe if uh, if you think you can do this audially without the visual cues and and in efficient way are you able to describe what these five and i know you said there might be more but these five dominant neurotypes sure. are just so we can see if we can identify to any of those and by the way spoiler alert i'm a 1a yeah. my wife is a 2b and oh, my co-host my co-host is a 1b uh, but I think both my wife and my co-host, they both like novelty as well. So we're a little bit confused as to exactly what camp they sit in. But yeah, that makes no sense to anyone. But hopefully now, as you go through it, yeah. they'll start to identify. It, 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 it might be possible that your wife is actually a 2A, but she's under stress. Because type 2As, the main characteristic of a type 2A is that they are mimickers. The, uh, a type two, I'm, I'm a type 2A, okay? A type 2A, its main characteristic is that they have a pretty much equal amount of all the neurotransmitters, except for adrenaline, which is dominant. Uh, but they have an equal amount of GABA, serotonin, acetylcholine, uh, glutamate. So they are actually neurologically capable uh, of being any type, either to better fit with a different person. Like if I'm, uh, if I'm with... Uh, a, a type 1A, I will not act the same way as if I'm with a 2B. My, my behavior will change either to create reciprocity, to show that the person to the person, I'm, I'm like you, or more likely to complement their own shortcomings. So like the, the natural uh, complementary force for 1A is a 2B. So, mm -hmm. so the 2A, when he's one with, with a 1A, he will often become more of a type 2B, which is a very close neurotype anyway. 2A, 2B, very similar. The main difference is the level of anxiety most of the time. That's why a type 2A who is tired, who is under stress, they will take on 2B's properties because the stress, the fatigue will deplete their GABA. And when your GABA is low, a type 2A becomes exactly like a 2B. So more emotional, more anxious, uh, more of a people pleaser, uh, more emotional, so, uh, likes to be liked, like to be loved and stuff like that. So, but, but if we get back 
to the five profiles. The, I won't discuss the neurotransmitter angle right now because it will make things even more complicated. I'm just going to talk about the, the, the main. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, so the one A, the one A is the, the 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 leader, the person who needs to be in charge. He's extremely confident, extremely driven. Uh, he, he talks a lot. He's very comfortable with, with discussion. He's amazing at convincing people. So you're gonna have a lot of uh, of talk show hosts or um, like. Uh, People who work in sales, uh, politicians, lawyers, any, anybody who needs to either convince someone or create an emotional response through language. Okay? It's about no, influence, it's about, right? It's exactly. About, and that, that I can relate to 100% Christian, influence. Yeah, and, and they are, uh, they, they don't really care what other people think of them. Mm -hmm. The reason is that they, they have a very high level of self-confidence, self-esteem. So, so they don't need other people to tell them how great they are to feel good about themselves. Uh, in fact, they actually like to create conflicts with other people because when there's a conflict, they have a, a chance to win the conflict. So, so one A, very, very competitive in, in sports. Uh, the 1A will be the grinder, the guy who when uh, the going gets tough is the guy you want on your team. He, he is a very sore loser, but very sore winner also. He'll do anything to win. He'll play a, like a, a fun game of Monopoly with his family, with his little nine-year-old nephew, and he will want to kick that nephew's ass and then make fun of him when he wins. Sounds so familiar. Anything, <laughs> Everything will be the competition, right? So that, that's your that's your your one A. The one B, also very competitive, also very driven, highly motivated. Both the one A and the one B have dopamine as their main excitatory neurotransmitter. So one thing they have in common, their their confidence level, they are extroverted, they're comfortable with people, and they are great at making long-term goals. It, it's kind of weird. Because 1A and 1B are impatient. They want results right now. They, they lose patience when someone doesn't get the job done. But on the other end of the spectrum, they are great at delayed gratification. So, for example, they will, okay, I, I will make less money today or I, I'm investing all my money because in six months I will have three times as much money. So people who are dopamine dominant are great at delayed gratification. They understand sacrifice if that means that they will succeed, but they will also work super hard to make things happen. So, so they are, that's why we say that dopamine dominant people, 1A, 1B, are extremely goal driven. They establish a goal, they reach that goal. Now, the main difference is that the 1A is like an elephant in a porcelain store. Uh, he will not change his personality for anybody. He is who he is. And if it doesn't fit the situation, some butt might get hurt, but, but he doesn't really care. Whereas the 1B has a lot more capacity to adapt his behavior to other people. I'm not saying that they are like the, the 2A who is a social chameleon, but the 1B can tone down his dominating personality so that everybody will get along fine. 
the, the main reason is because of their main inhibitory neurotransmitter. Like 1A is dopamine dominant as excitatory neurotransmitter and GABA dominant as is um, inhibitory neurotransmitter. Whereas the 1B, you have serotonin as its main uh, inhibitory neurotransmitter. Now, both GABA and serotonin are breaks. They shut down your brain. They calm the brain down. They reduce anxiety. They reduce excitation. They allow you to rest and recover. The main difference is that GABA is a parking brake and serotonin is the brake pedal. The brake pedal, serotonin, allows you to slow down just a little bit, go back up. So they can modulate speed more precisely, whereas GABA, the, 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 the parking brake, it's on or off. So that's why the type 1A, it's on or off. It's all in or nothing. The 1B has more, more leeway. And the other difference uh, is that the 1A, uh, the 1A is more uh, built for strength, whereas, or brute force, uh, or competition through the sheer power of will, whereas the 1B is the best natural athlete. The 1B learns motor skills super easy. Like the guy who will practice a golf swing for a week and he looks like a pro already. Uh, he can play any sport and be really good at that sport. He will learn anything super quickly. Also, normally is very imaginative, thinking out of the box. All of these are because of a high acetylcholine level. Uh, they are also more explosive and their behavior is more explosive. Like the 1A is very intense, the 1B is calm, but then it will explode out of nowhere. For like 30 seconds, it's like all hell break loose. But two minutes afterwards, it's as if nothing happened. The 1A will hold grudges. The 1B will have a beer after you, even if you kick his ass. So it, it, that's the main difference. But in both cases, they are very competitive. When, when you look at high level, like team sports athletes, speed athletes, power athletes, they most often fall in the 1A or 1B category, the 1B being the best natural skill athlete. Just to jump in for just a second there, Christian, I've, I've been smiling the whole time you've been speaking because you have just described me and uh, my regular co-host, Bryn. I'm 1A, yeah. he's 1B. And it's like to the T, it's like as if you know us. And what is fascinating by what you've just said is I've done personality tests, psychometric tests, uh, where they talk about my my strengths, my my key attributes, whether it be around achievement, futurism, um, you know, setting goals, through to communication and compassion, and you know, social skills. So I've done that, and I've, I've resonated with that work, you know, greatly. And then I looked at your work, which I thought was predominantly a discussion around, you know, training modalities and what your body is biased to prefer. But what you've just described is both a personality preference uh, and a training preference in one based on chemicals. And that's just like mind blowing because you describe both personality and training bias or kind of athleticism between Bryn and myself perfectly. Mm -hmm. If he was here, he'd be nodding in the head, his head as well. That is phenomenal. Well, we all about chemicals, right? The, the brain is the bus. The, the, the brain is what is responsible for your attitude, for your drive, for your competitiveness. Naturally, if you're competitive, you'll be a better athlete. I mean, it, it, that's just a fact. If you're goal-driven, you're going to be a better athlete. Uh, but also, 
if you are, for example, someone who is dopamine dominant, and it's it's somewhat complex to understand because you need to understand all the connection between all the neurotransmitters and the hormones. But if you look at dopamine, people who are dopamine dominant, like a 1A or 1B, the, the, the neurotransmitter that has the greatest impact on their behavior is dopamine, not because they have a lot of dopamine. In fact, they have very little dopamine. They are so sensitive to it that they don't need to produce much of it. So the body never learned to produce a lot of dopamine because the slightest drop, quote unquote, will just ignite a firework in their brain. Just like me, I don't produce lots of adrenaline because I'm super sensitive to it. So that's why in normal situation, my adrenaline is basically zero and I have no self-confidence, no self-esteem. Now, dopamine is ultimately eventually converted to adrenaline. So if you need adrenaline when you're training, for example, if you need to produce adrenaline to train, to mobilize energy, to increase heart rate, strength, and stuff like that, you need to take your dopamine and transform it into adrenaline. Now, the problem is if you are dopamine sensitive, like a 1A or 1B, it means you don't have a lot of dopamine. So if you constantly have to pump out adrenaline, you will deplete dopamine. So you don't have any dopamine left. And when your dopamine is low, you will feel shitty. You have no motivation, no drive. Uh, you, you drag your feet, you have mood swings, your libido is down, you want to eat crap because eating crap artificially boosts dopamine. Mm. So people who are like the 1A especially, if they do a lot of training volume, a high amount of work, they will crash their nervous system. On the other hand, they can actually lift pretty heavy every day as long as the volume is not high because they recover really easily from neurological work because they have a lot of GABA that shuts down the brain after they're done lifting a type. But, but, but with volume, the, it will kill the 1A every time. The bad thing is that they are so competitive that if they train with someone who does a lot of volume, they will want to follow along and then they will crash. I, I once trained a 1A athlete and he, he was doing a shit ton of volume because he always needed to be the strongest in the gym because he was super competitive. So he could never follow the plan because if a strong guy walked in, he, he would do the same exercise and try to beat him. And he would do that for like two or three hours. So he became eventually addicted to pre-workout stimulants because he needed them to create a reaction because he, he was just too drained the next day. And eventually he became resistant to the pre-workout stimulant. So he, he, he moved on to speeds. He was taking speeds to train. Wow. And eventually built up a resistance and he, he went up to cocaine to be able to train. So that's a slippery slope. And again, the, the type 1A, type 1B are normally more easily addicted to anything that makes them feel good. So uh, yeah, but it, it's funny you mentioned like not talking that much about training because when I give the seminar about neurotyping, I will say that out of a like 12 hour presentation, like an hour and a half is spent uh, talking about training. It's really more about understanding the personalities. Diet and supplements actually take a, a larger place than training because uh, it's actually a lot more clear cut than training. Uh, but it, it has impact on pretty much every aspect of your life. Okay, so we've we've discussed the dopamine 
um, yeah. dominant individuals or the people that are sensitive to dopamine. Let's talk about the adrenaline-sensitive individuals. Yeah. So this is 2A and 2B, right? Well, actually, it's, it's mostly 2A. That's one thing that changed with the system because, okay, adrenaline uh, easily explain the behaviors of a type 2A that I will explain in a moment. But it didn't explain the type 2Bs. In fact, I designed, I originally designed a system based on the uh, classification by Dr. Kloninger. And he only had like dopamine, adrenaline, and serotonin dominant people. Uh, but what I found is that the type 2Bs are actually glutamate dominant people. Uh, so that's one thing I change o o over over the years. Uh, I'll get back to that when we talk about the two Bs. But glutamate is basically the emotional amplifier. So people who are extremely emotional, people who, who have uh, very frequent mood swing, almost like bipolar behavior, uh, people who take everything personally, people people who love everything that looks good, they love beauty, uh, they love uh, like big displays of emotion, for example. Uh, these are all signs of high level of glutamate. Uh, and in fact, you will see more and more of these people. That's one of the main reasons, I think, that you have an overly emotional society. Uh, especially in, a, in the Western world, is because glutamate is added to so many mm. different foods. When you, when you eat fast food, when you eat a frozen meal, when you drink commercial coffee, I can basically guarantee that they added glutamate in there, either in the form of monosodium glutamate, MSG, or L-glutamic acid, which is readily converted to glutamate. And that's one of the main reasons why you have so many super emotional people, people with big mood swings. And people also, because of stress, okay, glutamate normally will be converted into GABA. But people who lack the enzyme responsible for that conversion to happen, they just pile on glutamate and pile on glutamate and pile on glutamate, and eventually it can actually become neurotoxic. But I'll get back to that when we talk about the two Bs. But, but the, the, the one that has the greatest adrenaline dominance is a type 2A, like, like me. And that's one of the reasons why they are social chameleons. When adrenaline is high, they morph into an alpha version of themselves. They become a 1B sometimes even a 1A. When I give a seminar, I will become a 1A. I'm extroverted, I'm funny, I'm loud, I'm big gestures when I talk, uh, but that's just because of uh, the adrenaline. Now, the two A's are lower level of self-esteem, and more importantly, they need other people's approval to feel good about themselves. Uh, that's why one of the main strategies of a type 2A is to create reciprocity with the person they are talking to. So, for example, I will be talking to someone and he will share an experience. Like, for example, um, you know, I'm going to Australia next month. And I will say, well, I've been to Australia last year. It was awesome. Personally, I prefer Sydney over Melbourne. Uh, just to show that, A, I did that too. We are alike, so you should like me. But it, it's only a strategy. By the same token, a type 2A is great at reading people. 2A and 2Bs 
are the two types that are the best at reading nonverbal cues. The reason is simple. Both 2As and 2Bs have low self-esteem and they rely on the perception of others to feel good about themselves. So I need to know that you like me or that you think I'm smart or whatever. But because my confidence, my self-esteem is low, if you give me a verbal compliment, I do not believe it. In fact, it makes me very uncomfortable. The only thing I can rely on to know if you're interested or if you like me is reading nonverbal. So a 2A naturally grew up being capable of reading nonverbal cues, which sometimes create problems in my relationship because my, my wife being dopamine dominant, she doesn't really like care about how she's being perceived. She, uh, she, she is how she is. Uh, and she don't realize that the, like the tone she's using might be offensive or, or the words she's selecting or the ad position when she's talking or whatnot. But me, I notice that. And I will uh, if I feel that she was like being harsh on me, I, I, I will actually almost start an argument. And But she does not even realize that she was that way. But, but it's because I, I'm great at naturally reading people. Uh, two A's, they are the social chameleons. They will often mimic the person that has the greatest influence on them. So, for example, it's a funny story. Um, a few years back, I was getting back into the Olympic lift because by, I'm originally an Olympic weightlifter. And I hadn't lifted in like 10 years. So I, I, I did some research about what's new with the training technique, the lifting technique, programming and stuff like that. The most popular Olympic weightlifter back then was Dmitry Klokov. He was big in CrossFit circles. He was super strong, but also super jacked. And I found Klokov's training program. Dude, I was so psyched. I actually bought the Klokov t-shirt. And I was walking like Klokov in the gym, like just mimicking it instinctively. And it actually increased my motivation because I had an emotional buy-in toward the program. That's the way two A's are. They need an emotional buy-in to fully get into something. Then this year, it's, uh, I, I, I read the 531 book by my friend Jim Wendler, and I decided to train using 531. And within a week, I was dressed like Wendler, like a long sleeve shirt beneath a T-shirt with a hat, with a hat <laughs> on. I never wear a hat. And it was instinctive because I need to create that reciprocity, that feeling like I, I belong to somebody. Now, if someone is like on a support group for keto diet or something like that, chances are they are either two A's or maybe two B's because these are the guys who need to feel the approval of others. Um, so, so that would be your, your, your two A's. Other signs of a two A they tend to have more erectile dysfunction when they are under stress because the, the overactivate the sympathetic nervous system, which reduces blood flow to the extremities. Uh, they will also have, and that is a great diagnostic tool, but you actually can't do it with your clients. They have more shrinkage. Like when, when they go in cold water, their penis will shrink a lot more than other people. When they are doing physical activity, they will have more shrinkage. Once again, because they get overactivated, sympathetically speaking, which reduces peripheral blood flow. They also have higher resting heart rate. Um, two A's don't need a lot of warming up. 
because as soon as they start to train, adrenaline kicks in, the heart rate goes up, and they're ready to perform. Uh, so, you know, like little signs of that you might be a 2A. 2B is the emotional person. 2Bs are all about feeling. 2As are all about variation. 2As, they need change. Things need to be kept fun. When something is not fun anymore, then they, they lose their motivation. Now, the 2Bs, it's all about feeling. Feeling with, when it comes to their food. They need to appreciate the experience. The, the same thing with training. Training must make them feel good. Either getting a great pump because that means that they know they're working hard. Or if they're doing cardio, they need to see that pool of sweat beneath them. Because that is instant feedback that they are training hard. And they need to know that they are doing a good job to feel good about themselves. Now, they have a very high level of glutamate, so they are the overly emotional people. Uh, either their, both their positive and negative emotions are amplified. Glutamate is an emotional amplifier. That's why they add it as a food additive to many fast foods or commercial foods, because it enhances the pleasure response that the food gives you, making you a lot more likely to eat that food again. The problem is that glutamate is in excess is neurotoxic. It can lead to problems like bipolar disorders, depression, even Parkinson's. So normally glutamate will be converted into GABA and both would be like moderately high. But in 2Bs, they lack the enzyme responsible for the conversion, the efficient conversion. So they just pile on more glutamate. And they have more of the enzyme that converts GABA back into glutamate. So, so that's why they, they, they have a lot more anxiety because they have high glutamate and low GABA. You cannot have high glutamate and high GABA. So if your glutamate is high, your GABA is low, meaning that you'll be more anxious. You have a hard time calming your brain down. You will create all those stories in your mind. Uh, you're going to have a hard time sleeping because you worry about what's coming up tomorrow or you worry about what that people thought about you today. And, so, and then when you, you start that scenario in your brain, it just escalates and escalates and escalates and you can't control it. Uh, so that, that would be your typical 2B. They, they love everything that makes them feel good. Uh, they, can, they, they become easily addicted to anything that makes them feel good. Uh, like it could be a person. So if a person came up, one of my best friends is a type 2B, was a former training partner of mine. And if a girl talks to him for like two minutes in the gym, he is in love with her right now. <laughs> so you literally fall in love like 10 times a week and he's been in a relationship for 10 years. But, but that's just how his brain chemistry works. He becomes in fall in love with anybody who shows him any attention because it makes him feel good. Same thing as they, they, they are those who are the most prone to binging because they will eat something, they feel awesome, and then they will eat a shit ton of them. And uh, it's a 2B, uh, right? Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. So, so may, may, maybe I could, um, sorry to interject there, Christian, yeah. just to, you know, humanize this a little bit and see if um, uh, you can help us um, yeah. a little and, and the listeners too. So I, I can identify 100% as a 1A, yeah. uh, alpha male, uh, you know, lift heavy, um, don't need anyone's approval, uh, like to get into debate, 
happy yeah. to have an argument, but not to hurt people just because I like to, yeah. you know, discuss things. Anyway, I, there's there's no question. <laughs> With my wife, she could be 2A or 2B. So I just thought I'd, I'd describe her personality. I know she won't mind. <laughs> or oh, let's yeah. see, let's find out. So she is, um, she's definitely more compassionate than I. Uh, yeah. She has more gut instinct about people and situations yeah. than I do. She's got more street smart socially than me. Mm-hmm. Um, she is a little bit more sensitive and uh, self-aware of herself mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. is uncomfortable being exposed and being vulnerable. So if anyone has the opportunity to judge her, she doesn't like that. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the gym, um, I've tried her on all modalities. She's done periods of strength training, you know, grinding work. Mm-hmm. But the reality is she's tried them all and the thing that satisfies her most is the pump. The pump, yeah. lots of work, got to get a sweat on, feel like she's working hard, low rest periods. But at the same time, she likes to change things up. She doesn't want to do the same thing all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, she isn't overly obsessive about like food. She doesn't have addictions to food. I wouldn't mm-hmm. say she's got an addictive quality to stuff. Um, but she does have... Um, a sensitivity to nuance. Like if I say mm-hmm. something the wrong way, she'll pick up on that. Uh, whether it be yeah. on a social community forum or to her or to our kids, mm-hmm. she's very sensitive to that. I can give you more, but with that based that basic intro, what would you say? It's pretty obvious that she's a type two way. Pretty obvious. Okay. Uh, I understand that your initial assessment in believing she was a two B because she loves the pump. But I'm a type 2A, I love the pump too. My, 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 uh, one of my partners, Stefan, one of my coaches that, that has been working with me for 12 years, also a type 2A, also loves the pump, he's a competitive bodybuilder, stuff like that. Uh, 2As are very close to either a 1B when they are like on fire or very close to a 2B when they are fatigued or tired or in a stressful situation or doing something they are not comfortable doing. But here's the kicker. A, a female 2A will almost be exactly like a male 2B. The reason is that estrogen and progesterone increases the sensitivity of the glutamate receptors. So even if you're a female 2A, glutamate, which will be at a normal level, can actually have a very high impact because of the sensitivity due to the estrogen and progesterone. Uh, have you noticed if uh, she prefer, like she loves the pump, but uh, if she does, like if she's in a, in a state where there's zero stress in her life, she feels awesome. Do you think she will like accept or like performance training a bit more, or is it still just the pump? Yeah, no, that that's true. If she's if she's in a good good frame of mind, well recovered, feeling strong. Yeah. Uh, she'll definitely push herself. She doesn't want to just, you know, do reps for fun. She wants to yeah. test herself, but some days yeah. more than others. Yeah. Yeah. And then and on your end of the spectrum, if she has a very stressful week, doesn't sleep much, she will actually naturally instinctively want to do more machines, more pulleys, more time under tension, right? Or, or not even go and weightlift at all. Yeah. Just go and do some yeah. spin class or something like that. Exactly. And the spin class actually fits well with, uh, a type 2A who acts like a 2B because it gives you instant feedback that you're doing a great job because of the pool of sweat on the floor. Yeah. Uh, but, but that exactly is what happens to a 2A who's under stress. When you are in your optimal state, 
you will naturally want a blend of performance and pump in the same workout, like one heavy lift and pump work. And the more stressed you are, the less performance you want to do, the more easy stuff, quote unquote, and the more stuff that makes you feel great you want to do. Mm. I, was, I was in Australia uh, last year. I'm only mentioning that to sound important. <laughs> uh, and if, I, I was giving three seminars in, in two weeks. So that for me, that's like 20 hours of traveling uh, plus the three seminars. The first week, I actually gave two seminars that first week. So the first part of the week, I was in a great mood. I was like in a great place. I love Australia. I was doing Olympic lift. I was doing squats, deadlift, bench press, and some bodybuilding work on the side. Felt great. After the first seminar, Without even thinking about it, I dropped the Olympic lifts. I still did the, like the big compound lift, but started doing a lot more bodybuilding work. And by week number three, the last week, I was doing all bodybuilding work, all machines, light stuff, pump work. Just because instinctively, my brain was quote unquote stressed out. I probably depleted my GABA a bit because I constantly needed to fight the stress and adapt to the new time zone. Uh, and that GABA depletion made me less efficient at tolerating mental stress. So instinctively, I moved toward a training that had no impact on the nervous system. It sounds, it sounds like you've got good instincts then. Is that, is that a 2A got good kind of biofeedback and instinct for their own body? That, that's, why, that's why a type 2A makes the best coaches, not the best programmers, not the best strength coaches. There's a difference. Strength coaches train athletes to increase performance. Uh, personal trainers, they, they, they work with individual to give them the best possible experience to keep them motivated. Uh, and programmers, they design the best training plans to get long-term results. Now, when you work with athletes, being too accommodating, being too nice, being too too much of a good person, putting too much faith on nonverbal can actually detract you from achieving the results you need from these athletes. And because athletes are mentally a lot tougher because they are type 1A or 1B, even if they are not in their comfort zone, they're still going to perform. Whereas when you work with the general population, the greatest skill set you can have as a coach is being capable of adapting on the fly, both adapting the training session and adapting your behavior to the state of the client. So a type 2A is the best at adapting. The type 2A is, the 2A and 2Bs both have a lot of empathy, but 2Bs have more emotional empathy, whereas the type 2As have more intellectual empathy, if that makes sense. The, the 2A can understand how someone feels without themselves sharing the same emotion, but then they know what to do to change that situation. The 2B really will share the people's pain. So it's kind of a different thing. And it has to do with, I mean, empathy is all, it's like a subject for a whole podcast in itself. It is a very complex issue and, and many different mechanisms are involved in empathy. So there, that's why there are many, many different types of empathy. Like a 1A has zero empathy, basically. I, I have uh, been told uh, that. Well, <laughs> I have been no, told that. 
but it actually allows you to stay objective and make more objective decision, not emotional yeah. decision. But oftentimes it makes uh, like a, a type 1A, a hard person to work for because they, they, you have the impression that they don't care about your, uh, about your life, the, the, the hardship you have, you only want results, only think about numbers and whatnot. Uh, but on the other end of the spectrum, a type 2B cannot be a boss because he cares too much about people. Uh, and that, that person will never be objective. But a type, a type 1B has a weird type of empathy. It, it, it is a neurological empathy. It's not driven by emotions. It's, it's driven by the mirror neurons. Have you heard about mirror neurons? I haven't, no. Okay, mirror neurons are... are it's it's a portion of your brain that is responsible for activating other zones to make you feel a certain way. I'm, I'm going to explain exactly how they were they were found. They, they did a, uh, a study on, on monkey. They, they put uh, electrodes on a monkey's brain uh, and to see which part of the brain would light up when the monkey was doing several different tasks. So if you give him a, a banana, he looks at the banana, a, a certain portion of the brain light up. When he grabs the banana, a different portion of the brain lights up. When he brings the banana to his mouth, a different region. When he tastes the banana, a different region. Then they did, uh, they, they, they put a second monkey in front of the first one, also with electrodes. And they, they saw that the same region in his brain would lit up when he was just looking at the first monkey grabbing or eating the banana, even though the second monkey did not have a banana. And on top of that zone, a small area of the brain would also light up, which ended up being the mirror neurons, which are responsible for what we call learning by modelization, like yeah. learning by looking at someone doing a task. Now, so when you have done something in the past, when you have... Uh, felt something in the past. It, it leaves a, a, an imprint in your brain. And when you see someone having the exact same thing happen to them, you can, with the mirror neurons, activate your memory so that you will actually feel what the action should feel. See what I mean? Mm -hmm. So someone who has very efficient mirror neurons and he has done, let's say, a power snatch before and he's watching an Olympic lifter do a snatch like on video, well, he kind of kind of kind of feels the movement by himself. Like myself, when I'm watching someone do a lat pull down, I can actually feel my own lats firing. Now, that, that's mirror neurons. But mirror neurons are also also works with emotion because when you when you're sad, you make a certain face, certain body language. If you've been sad before, your brain knows that when you have that body language, you, this is the emotion you are feeling. Okay. Now, acetylcholine potentiate the mirror neurons. So the more acetylcholine you have, the more efficient your mirror neurons are. That's why people like the 1B, sometimes the 2As, are great natural athletes. They have lots of acetylcholine. They can very easily learn a movement just by looking at it or visualizing a movement. By the same token, they can actually understand, oh, you are sad. You cannot say why, but you just feel it. So a type 1B will have some empathy not through emotions, but through the action of the mirror neurons. The type 2A normally have the most empathy because they, are, they have both efficient mirror neurons and also they care about what other people think of them. 
So they are great at reading nonverbal intellectually and neurologically. And the two Bs are pretty good too, not because of acetylcholine, but because they have an amplification of emotions. So that's why a two B will actually feel sad when you are sad, because they, they will create the same response in their brain and the glutamate amplifies the reaction. Yeah, I would, I would, say, I would say my mother is probably a two B. She wears yeah. everyone's, everyone's worries on her shoulders. You know, and it's if, hard. If, if her brothers are arguing, if there's something going on in the family, if her friends are in distress, yeah. she feels it. She wears it. And I, I'd often speak that. I'd often ask her, like, what, you know, just move on. It's their, their shit. Let them deal with it. But she can't. It's impossible because they, they, it, it is actually a chemical reaction in their brain. So they, they just can't control it. Wow. They actually are feeling that emotion. So we, um, We've got one more to, to cover. Uh, I think we should do that. So just in case there are is a portion of people that don't relate to anything you've just said, yeah, yeah. what are the type three, Christian? The type three is uh, the, the, the more of a, they're not always introvert, but they are most of the introverts are type three. They are people who are overthinker. I mean, they, 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 they analyze and overanalyze every single detail. They will look at a problem from 24 different angles before making their own mind. Uh, they need as much information as possible. You will explain a task to them in great detail. They will still ask you 20 questions. Uh, they, they don't like to mingle. They are routine based. They, they prefer to follow a structure always do things the same way. But, but these are only strategies to decrease anxiety. Type 2Bs, they have a high level of adrenaline, a high level of glutamate, so they are easily activated, but they have a very low level of serotonin and low level of GABA, meaning that their brain is always going on and on and on and on and on and on because it, it is a role of GABA and serotonin to calm the brain down. So the, the type three is always overthinking, overanalyzing. Uh, so it's it, it intellectualize every decision. Uh, they, they are those who talk the least, especially they don't want to reveal information about themselves. In a group, they will always talk last when they've heard what everybody else wants to say first. Uh, you ask them, did you ever play sports? The type 1A will give you his life story. The type 3 will say yes or no. Okay. He will not. So, but uh, these are all strategies to reduce anxiety. Are type three willing to make decisions or because of their uh, kind of analysis yeah, yeah. by paralysis, paralysis yeah, by analysis, yeah. are they unwilling to make dec decisions or do they make decisions and then don't want to change that? What, what's, those, who are, those, who are the worst, those who are the worst at making decisions are type two A's. Okay. I mean, I, I've been married for 12 years. I, I don't think I, I selected the restaurant or the film and watching the one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm literally incapable of making a decision. And it makes sense because type 2As, they don't want to disappoint anybody. Uh, and they don't want to be the leader. The type 2As are the best second in command. They're not okay. designed to be the leader. Uh, the type 3, it will take them forever to make up their mind. Because as you mentioned, paralysis by overanalysis. They will look at every single detail. It will take 
weeks and weeks and months. And of course, the more anxiety the decision creates, the less likely they are to make up their mind, mind fast. But once they make up their mind, they won't change it. Because they make, they, take a, they make a decision when every fact available has been thoroughly analyzed. So unless a different fact comes to light, they will not change their mind. And by the same token, if they make a decision and at the last minute, they have to change their plans because of an unforeseen event, it throws them completely out of their game. They have a very hard time adapting to changing circumstances, but they are the best at making plans, at creating structure, uh, at, at making things happen in order. So they, they are great at, uh, in a structure, in a hierarchy. When they, their, their role is well defined, they are amazingly productive. And what's their training preference like? Uh, normally the type three in naturally are more attracted toward more endurance activities or more repetitive activities. So you will have type, some type threes who love resistance training, but these are the exceptions. And when they, when they love resistance training, they, they prefer more technical exercises. They are not driven by increasing weights or even sets or reps. They just want to become better at doing the exercises. But, but you will have a lot more type three found in engine sports, uh, like swimming, like running, like bicycle, uh, non-violent sport, repetitive activities. Uh, they normally have a higher ratio of slow twitch fibers, so they, they have more resistance, more endurance naturally. They, they tend to produce more cortisol, so it's hard for them to build muscle, but it's easy to mobilize energy when doing endurance activities. Uh, also, because they have a higher level of anxiety, anxiety is nothing more than your brain firing super fast. And when you are quote unquote anxious, it's because you cannot fully control your brain because it's going too fast for you. That's why you start to create scenarios in your brain. Now, the type three, when he does cardio, when he does cardio, he can actually create movies in their mind. The cardio actually reduces their anxiety. That's why they like it. They actually feel a lot better because the cardio decreases sympathetic activation. If a 1A has to do low intensity steady state cardio, the only thing you can think about is this is boring, this is boring, this is boring, this is boring. Because the type 1A, they need to be amped up, they need release of dopamine to feel good. Cardio will actually have the opposite effect. So for type three, cardio actually reduces cortisol. It actually reduces stress. But for type one, it will increase the stress. That is fascinating. Do you know what? I'm going to be listening back to this a number of times because you've just dropped so many knowledge bombs around personality and people's bias towards training. I want to close on one last question because I know yeah. um, you have things to do today as well. Um, and that is, from what I've heard, obviously, there is a bias or a preference based on neurology and neurotransmitter sensitivities between these types. However, if you have, say, a 1A, and a 1A wants to do a bodybuilding, yeah. hypertrophy, high rep training block, mm -hmm. or vice versa, you have a, you have a type 
2B, who's more into the pump and high volume, but they know based on who's programming for them, they should experience some strength-based work. Yeah. Are you saying you shouldn't go near the things that you're not no. built for? Or how do you manage doing different things that you're not suited to um, you know, mentally? When I, I say that, it's more a matter of the first, the first thing is if you're not quote unquote neurologically designed for something is that it will not give you the same motivation. But if okay. for some reason, hey, you know what? I'd like to do a bodybuilding phase. Then the motivation is there. So that's not a problem. The second problem is when you go against your neurological nature, it might be harder to recover from that. For example, a type 2B, type 2B has low level of GABA and moderately low level of serotonin. So when they lift heavy, you amp up the brain, right? The heavier you, you, you work up, the more amped up your brain is. Now, if you do not have a lot of GABA and serotonin, it's very hard to calm the brain down after the heavy workout. So the problem for 2B is that after a heavy session, the brain keeps firing on all cylinders for hours. And that can cause what we call CNS fatigue. It's mm. not really CNS fatigue. It's either dopamine depletion uh, or adrenergic resistance, depending. But, but, the, but the, 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 the thing is still there. If your brain stays amped up for too long after the session, the next day you're gonna feel like crap. And cortisol will be higher because when you, the nervous system keeps firing on all cylinders in sympathetic mode, cortisol is also elevated. So it's gonna be hard to, be, to build the muscle. So if you do a very high intensity, like 90, 95% of your one RM for uh, several sets, several exercises, the type 2B might not be able to neurologically recover from that and will feel like crap. A, two, a, a 1A, if he does too much volume, he produces more adrenaline, which depletes his dopamine, and also have symptoms of CNS fatigue. Mm -hmm. so, so you need to understand the limitation of each type if you want to do a, a type of training that doesn't fit their nature, like a type 2B. My friend Paul Carter is a type 2B, and he once competed in powerlifters when he was younger. But Paul, instinctively, even when he was preparing for a powerlifting competition, he never went above 90% on any lift. In fact, up until the last three weeks before a contest, he would never go below sets of five, even on the competitive lift. Wow. And he would still use plenty of bodybuilding work. Then on the last three weeks, he would do uh, like one week heavy triples, then another week heavy doubles, then he would deload for a week, then he would perform. So a type 2B, they can still train for strength, but on the quote-unquote lightish portion of strength, like 80-85%, doing more sets of some maximal work. Whereas the, the type 1A, if he wants to do bodybuilding, I see him doing more of a like Dorian Yates approach or uh, even a John Meadows approach in that you, or um, Mike Menzer approach. Menzer was a bit extreme. But what I mean is that you would do like two or three gradually heavier warm-up sets, and then you would have one all-out work set going to failure or even past failure, but only for one set per exercise. Because the type 1A will see that as a challenge. I need to push the fatigue further and further, but the overall volume of work is still pretty low because let's say you do four exercises in a workout, you only have one, two work sets, that, that's four work sets. In your work, in your session, so you still get the hypertrophy, but the overall volume is lower. So there's always a way to train 
for something that you're not designed to train. It's just understand what the limitations are and then have the program to take care of those limitations. Huh. Like I have, um, I have two bobsleigh guys uh, that I train on the national team and they both train for the same goal. One is a 1A, the other one is a 1B. They all both have the same skeleton program. So the, the, the three main lifts are the same, but the 1B will have more assistance work. The mm-hmm. 1B will have more plyometrics. The 1A doesn't. So it's really a matter of knowing the goal, selecting the best methods for that goal, and avoiding the pitfall for, of your type. So what I'm hearing from there are three things. Um, based on your neurotype, um, if you do something that goes against your you know, strongest bias, there's going to be some motivational issues. There's going to be some recovery issues. Yes. And how to mitigate that is to expertly program where you, you kind of – play with different modalities but you might have to adjust them to account for the things you've just said that is profound that that, i'm going to take that away and really think about how i train because i'm currently doing a bodybuilding split just because i wanted to try it and i'm i've I've enjoyed it because it's novel uh, but i'm now good to go back to strength training proper and i want to try and work out how i can get the best of both worlds without feeling like i'm going against the grain well, you can, the, the, the easy way of doing it is to have, and that's what I do with my, uh, one of my bobsleigh guy, because he actually, he's a weird case because he was a member of the national track cycling team. And, uh, but he, he was not like a, like a born cyclist. He was a, a former powerlifter who switched to cycling, which is weird. So, he, but he was good enough to be on the team, but not good enough to be individual. And this year, they decided not to send a team to world championships, so he lost his funding by the government. So he decided to switch sports. So he decided to switch to bobsleigh. Uh, and he's super strong. The guy, uh, last week, he squatted uh, 240 kilos for seven reps. Wow. Uh, he power cleaned 140 for six reps. So he's, he's pretty darn strong. Franz squatted uh, 225 kilos. So pretty strong, but he's undersized for a bobsleigh guy. Most bobsleigh guys, you want them in a 97 to 100 kilos uh, body weight. And, and he's like 81 because he, he did lose a lot of weight when he was cycling. So he needs to gain muscle. Uh, but he's not, if we do volume, he crashes, especially since he, he also has to do sprints. So we have three sessions that are whole body performance driven so normally we focus on three lifts for him it's it's a back squat it's it's the power clean and it's the bench press and one day we emphasize concentric one day we emphasize eccentric one day we emphasize uh isometric and the fourth workout is a bodybuilding workout mostly for muscles that are not as well stimulated by the main performance lift so back, hamstrings, glutes, arms. Uh, so, so there's bodybuilding work in there that allows him to gain some weight. So you can do the same thing. You can have like three or four performance workouts per week and one bodybuilding workout per week. Love it. Love it, Christian. Christian, you have blown my mind on a number of occasions just now. I knew you were smart, but um, having this conversation has just, uh, just lifted the bar to a whole new level. I appreciate uh, how gracious you've been with your time um, and offering up just some great insights. Let's close on just telling the people with all the content that you've created, there's so much, 
and there's so many places to find you on the internet. Where's the best place to get a sense of both the neurotyping stuff, the stuff we've been talking about, and generally where you think um, people, new people to you are going to get the most, most benefit? Well, the, 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 the neurotyping stuff is mostly on tibarmi.com. Uh, we have a lot of videos explaining the system pretty consist- concisely. Uh, and then on tnation.com, you have at least 600 articles that I wrote. So wow. I've been writing for them for like 18 years. Uh, and recently, I have, uh, I've taken over Charles Polkin's old column, this question of strength column, where I answer questions uh, from readers. Like last week, it was uh, about CNS fatigue. It was about uh, low carbs dieting and all that stuff. So I, I sometimes will talk about anxiety, talk about neurotransmitter, depending on the questions I'm getting. Fantastic. So thebarmy.com as well as just a, a regular T-Nation. peruse of T Nation. And, and what I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll uh, share your socials as well, just so people can see what you're up to. Christian, thank you so much for your time today. I really hope we keep in touch. Um, You are a force for good and I love what you're doing. All the best for 2019. And uh, yeah, I will speak to you soon, I'm sure. Same to you, man. Take care, man. See what I'm talking about, guys. Christian is the bomb. What an amazing discussion. I hope you enjoyed it. And if there are any questions off the back of this, you can feel free to get them through to the Facebook or Instagram page where I'll do my very best to respond or pass them through to Christian himself. And that just leads me to say that Adaptation is all about providing you with the tools and expert knowledge to help you improve and optimize your strength, health, and mindset inside and out. Take care, guys. If you enjoy this show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps. And of course, recommend us to any friends or family who you think might also enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. This is Adapt Nation.